Hello and welcome to the pre-Thanksgiving edition of the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. This is the show where we talk about all things transportation. I'm the traffic anchor and transportation reporter for Denver 7 News, Jason Luber. I am pedestrian advocate Joseph Peters, and I am so much looking forward to a holiday, Jason. I don't know about you, but Thanksgiving is one of my least favorites. I do enjoy what? the day why, off. Wait, wait, why? Why bother? Come on, man. Like, can't we take the Thanksgiving holiday and move it to May or June or somewhere else and really spread out the love instead of having Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's it's all back to back? It's the holiday season. Come on, baby. It is. It, it is. is. That's why they call We wouldn't have the holiday season without the Thanksgiving. And just because it's my least favorite doesn't mean it's not great. I mean, I, I'm sorry that they decided to do Thanksgiving in the fall when they were giving thanks for their bounty here in the fledgling world, the new yes. world. They were actually giving thanks to God for their for the, for their safety and arrival and and uh, and making it through the winter. Yes. Um, by the way, we um I I, we, I, I submitted our, our show to the House of Pod for some awards that they're going to be doing, and we did not get any nominations. Very stunned by that. Yay! <laughs> so there. <laughs> Uh, as you said, it is the week before Thanksgiving. We, uh, you, you're going to have the day off next. Uh, you're going to have Thanksgiving day off, right? That's correct. I will not. Well, there's so much traffic to talk about, Jason. Well, I, that's the thing. I don't mind actually working on Thanksgiving day. But look, if I was a news director, I, I wouldn't make my main traffic person work on, uh, on a major holiday. I would make those mandatory day off days and, and not even cover the shift. I mean, it's uh, uh, there isn't any traffic on those days, right? I, I wouldn't want my main person to be there uh, on a day that there's nothing going on and, and skip work on a day where there is everything going on on a regular commute day when it matters, not on a non-holiday, not a, on a holiday day where where it doesn't really matter. I mean, I I think that when when I work the holidays and take off a busy day, that's not good for the regular viewer, right? Don't you don't you agree or no? I mean, uh, that, but maybe that's just me. I mean, if there's a big crash on a holiday, the news anchors are just going to cover it as a breaking news story, right? If it's that big of a deal, because I, I don't even think we need a fill-in person for me that day. Uh, th- and this is not me taking. Well, I need the holidays off, and this is what I'm lobbying for. I just think it's, I, I just think it's smart business to have your main people on main days. Thoughts? No comment. What? Can't comment. You're my boss. No comment. What? Can't comment. No comment. If, all right. Let's let's play hypothetical news director. Can we play that game? N- nope. <laughs> Cannot play that Why game. Why not? Nope. Why can we not play that game? Nope. Not doing it. Not going there. No comment. <sighs> well, that's how I feel. I, I, I <laughs> Look, I actually like working the holidays uh, on Thanksgiving Day because there is nothing going on. It's nice and easy and relaxing for me. It's... Hey, the roads are wide open. Free parking meters. Back to you, Dave. Bring your kids in. You know, it's Have one of those. Thanksgiving here. No. <laughs> they don't want to still get up at 2.15 because I'll still have to get up at 2.15. Yep. I still have to be here at 3.30 for a little morning show meeting on Thanksgiving Day. I will have the day off after Thanksgiving, which is actually a better day to have off rather than Thanksgiving Day, at least for my schedule because I, I leave here. Uh, usually about 11.30 noon every day, right? So that's when all the good stuff happens on Thanksgiving Day anyway. So you really want the day after Thanksgiving off. It's like you don't want necessarily the 4th of July off, mm-hmm. at least for me, my schedule. You want the day after off so you can stay up and watch the fireworks. Yes. Christmas, though, 
I am off on Christmas Day, but I'm working the entire week otherwise. Oh, nice. Again, a week where there is no traffic. I, I will be here on Christmas, my friend. You will? Yes, I will be ringing, ringing in the holidays. Well, ho, ho, ho. Uh, this breaking news. Yes, breaking news right now. Uh, I just got this uh, press release from the city and county of Denver. Uh, apparently, the Denver B-Cycle program is ending. It's ending in January. January 30th of 2020. And now the Denver Public Works Department says that it's going to go out to bid for more companies to operate shared bike and scooter services in Denver. My thought, first initial thought, uh, they're not having enough people riding those dang bikes and renting them, and so it's not cost-effective for them to replace these bikes that need to be replaced because they're more expensive than the scooter. Right. So they're not having enough people rent them, so therefore it's a bad business model, and they are pulling out. See ya. Yeah, I don't know what sane company is going to come in and take over this program at this point. The business model, to your point, was a good business model when you started, perhaps, but now it's just redundant. I mean, well, no, you don't have made... e. You didn't have scooters then. Exactly, you didn't have e scooters and you didn't have e bikes. I mean, there's literally the same product being offered without the drawback of having to go to a certain location to pick it up and drop it off. What are we doing? Yeah, I mean, it's it's just game over after that. Exactly. So if and I would rather. Uh, ride a scooter where the motor is doing the work for me rather than my legs doing the work for me on a bicycle. I mean, listen, man, bicycles are great. Look, you, you, right? You look, like, bicycles are great. Oh, no, the bikes are great. And, and if you look at me, I could stand to lose a few pounds. I could probably uh, need the, the, the uh, calorie burn on a bicycle. But me being me, I still would, I still would rather ride on one of those scooters than... Then ride a bike. All things being equal. So we'll see how that goes. I mean, right there. There's a, e-bikes. Sorry. Well, sorry, but also, like, redundant. Redundant. I mean, we just it's just not the same environment it was when B-Cycle launched. All right. If you want to leave us a message here for the show, here is the number, 303-832-0217. Feel free to give us a call anytime, good, bad, or indifferent. Let us know. All right. I know this is kind of off subject. Uh, but what do you think about people who start off a phone call conversation with, hey, it's me? Uh, it depends on who it is. <laughs> depends on who it is. I, all right. I say this because I was watching a video uh, of somebody who's talking about how he hates some intersections and other traffic stuff. I, I was considering having this guy on the show, uh, but he starts off all his videos with, hey, it's me. Well, this is the problem. This is the first time I've ever seen your video, sir. I, I don't know who you are. I'm not sure I want to know who you are at this point. And you start off the conversation with, hey, it's me? I, I don't need that. There's only a few people in this world who I feel comfortable enough with to start off with a conversation with, hey, it's me. And you, Mr. Man on the video, are not one of them. Right there, you're not. My wife. You would agree, yeah? Yep, yep, yep. I mean, not my wife for you, but, but maybe like your wife the, for you. The spouse. The spouse in any situation. I, I think Elisa Hidalgo, who who is a pretty close okay. person who I work with here, um, probably one of the closest people I guess I work with. If if she calls me and she, hey, it's me, I, I would I, that would be okay. Okay. Uh, my my brother, my parents. So I think this is another I think one. I where, rounds it out. No, nah, man. I mean, this is redundant too, though. We have caller ID now. If I have you on my phone, 
Like, I, basically, I expect you to have me in your phone. So I just say, hey. And if you ask me who I am, I'll tell you who I am. But there's no reason for us to go to names right off the bat because as soon as you call me, I look at my phone and it says, oh, Jason Luber's calling me. And it's the same thing with the YouTube video. When you click on the video, it says, bye, this guy. So you know it's this guy. I think my sister-in-law is like that. She, <laughs> she calls me and she says, hey, assuming I know it's her because of my caller ID, tells me that it's her. Yep. So I think she's, she's smart enough to know that, hey, it, you know, he probably knows that, that it's Aaron calling and, and not some crazy psycho woman. Yep. Yep. Um, is your voice, do you find that your voice is distinctive enough where people just know who you are? Yes. For me, but my, my sister-in-law and my wife, they sound very similar. Ah. Um, you know, except for the way she says, my sister-in-law says water. I think she says water. <laughs> I, I, I didn't mean to get off topic here. But uh, that was bugging me. And as, as for the video guy, I'm not sure if I would uh, want him on the show. He used to live here. Now I think he lives in Kansas. And he, he gets all bent out of shape about these intersections and, and, and describes what he thinks is wrong at these different intersections. And usually it has to deal with bike access and how he wants better bike access there and here. And so anyway. This self-feeding ecosystem of people filming themselves at intersections and complaining about what's wrong with them. Yeah is such a fascinating part of internet culture, but also why? Like, why are we doing this? What is what is the purpose of this? Is this guerrilla journalism? Because there's nobody looking at it. And one of the things with journalism is that people have to look at it for it to matter, yes. right? I mean, that's kind of what we do a little bit, but we have more of a news and commentary type program here that people actually enjoy. <laughs> At least the ones that listen to the program. Yes. Uh, and we've had a lot over the last several months, so we appreciate all the new listeners. By the way, a Florida man was pulled over for driving recklessly, and he told police that he needed to get home in a hurry because he was cheating on his wife. Yay! Really? Yeah. Really? That's right. 52-year-old John Earl Picard. He was uh, behind the wheel of his 2015 Honda that was going in excess of 90 miles an hour in a 55-mile-an-hour zone. And when he was stopped by the Tarpon Springs Police Department uh, around 7.30 at night, uh, he was apparently en route to his Palm Harbor residence following the extramarital visit. How do you think this conversation went? Uh, sir, do you know why I stopped you? Yeah, I was going really fast. Why were you going so fast? Uh, I just came back from my side hustle, and I need to get home before I get busted. Sir, here's your ticket. Yep. John Earl was busted for reckless driving, but when cops searched him post-arrest, they found a baggie of crack cocaine in his shirt pocket, leading to an L added felony drug possession arrest. You know what? Always with these stories, I think to myself, these are perfectly normal white-collar people who are engaging in bad behavior and then come to find out, no, they're crackheads. And yet again, here we are where the last detail of the story is that, oh, yeah, he was smoking crack. I'm telling you, I, I really do think that all of the world's ills coming from prehistoric times to now are based on drugs. Mm. including alcohol, Yep. money and power, and sex. And gambling. Yeah, you got to put gambling in oh, there, yeah, too. Yeah, sure. but, that, but those are the four. It's pretty much always those four. Yeah, that's it right there. 
Those are the deadly sins, I think. Yep. Uh, I know there's going to be a ton of people traveling over the holidays, starting with Thanksgiving, and I have a huge warning for you. Don't drink or touch anything except for bottled water on the airplane. And here is why. There's a new study that finds out that water on board most major airlines that serve to passengers is so unsafe that you shouldn't even wash your hands with it. Uh, that got my attention when I was going through this study. It's the same water they typically use in brewing the coffee and the tea on your airplane. They're not using bottled water to do that sort of thing. They're using the water from the galley. Mm. Uh, and it's gross. It's vile. So I have an interview scheduled with Dr. Charles Platkin next week. He is part of the team that conducted this study for Hunter College's Food Policy Center and DietDetective.com. It's a story perfect to lead into the holiday season and all the traveling that people are going to be doing. Um, and, and just to give you a little background on this, the, the study evaluated 10 major and 13 regional airlines. They used a 0 to 5 scale score, with 5 being the best, based on 10 criteria. The fleet size, so how many aircraft they have. Aircraft drinking water rule violations, positive for E. coli and or chloroform water samples, uh -huh. and cooperation in providing answers to water quality questions. Alaska Airlines and Allegiant actually received the highest airline water health score of the major airlines. Each, though, scored a 3.3 out of 5. But that's still very poor. That, that's a solid D grade right there if you base it on a 100-point scale. Mm -hmm. Hawaiian Airlines came in close with a ranking of 3.1. I'd call that a D minus. Uh, then came Frontier at 2.6, Southwest at 2.4, Delta Airlines at 1.6, American Airlines 1.5 out of 5, and United 1.2. Ugh. The two worst offending airlines were Spirit and JetBlue, who could only muster an alarming score of one out of five. That would be a 20% on a school test. That's a major fail. Yeah, that's pretty bad. <laughs> I mean, that, that's gross. That'll get you shut down by the health department. Now, who regulates that stuff? The FDA. However, uh, according to the, the, the study that I was reading, they don't treat the water, uh, when they're studying the water and, and looking at the safety of it, on airplanes the same way as if you were getting it from the fountain at the airport, mm. which is stunning to me that they don't regulate it the same way. I, I think that all the water in the United States, no matter where you go, should be safe to drink. I mean, yeah, that seems like a basic human right. And that right. would include, I mean, and, yeah, on an airplane. Well, and we see that. You know, that's such a big push across the world, right? Like, make sure everybody has access to safe drinking water. And part of that is on these companies to ha to be responsible and clean up after themselves and make sure that the water is good. I, I mean, I, I haven't taken a look at this study yet, so I don't want to comment too much on something that I haven't had a chance to take a closer look at. But, you know, if the results here are taken at face value, don't, don't drink anything no. on a plane. Uh, Soda they, only. They suggest, actually, passengers to never drink any water on board that's not in a sealed bottle. Mm -hmm. Don't drink the coffee or tea because you don't know if it's been brewed with the galley water. And don't even wash your hands in the bathroom. Just bring hand sanitizer with you instead and use that. Or don't go. Hold it. 
Well, I, I when I go, I, you know, that's the thing. I wash my hands, and then I when I dry my hands with the towels, I use that towel to wash my forehead, my, wash my face. Mm-hmm. Feels refreshing. Yep. I won't be doing that anymore because now I feel like I just rub bacteria and grossness all over my face. So instead, I'll be using this hand sanitizer all over my face. I don't know if it's going to peel my skin off, but I feel like that would be a safer bet. I like your style. Yeah. I like your style. And I, and I, I just agree. I can't really say much more. I just agree. And, and then I would have that, of course, lovely hand sanitizer aroma all over my face. People like that, though. It's a little alcoholic, man. Especially if you had a couple of drinks. It feels nice. <laughs> so I got a nice email from Andy Bosselman from Streets Blog Denver uh, recently. And he was commenting, saying that he liked our interview last week with Rosalie Ray. And we talked to Rosalie about free transit and the idea about uh, transit, whether it should be free for trains and buses and all that. It was a, it was a, I thought it was a good interview. Yeah, I thought she was great. Yeah, it was really nice. It was uh, well done, well thought out. And, and he was uh, saying as much, hey, thanks for that interview. And uh, Andy then shared a link to uh, a guest commentary that he wrote for the Denver Post. And it was called, To Save Lives, Denver Must Commit to More Red Light Cameras. Mm. So I read the story, and I have a few issues with it. Now, I like Andy. Okay. I had him in the studio when you were gone on your on your moving hiatus for several months. Uh-huh. And uh, he and I spent, uh, it was a little more than an hour together, uh, and it was, a, it was a great conversation. Nice guy. Liked meeting him, and he was, uh, it was, it was very good radio, or podcasting, if you will. I still consider this kind of radio. It's radio. Uh, but I, 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 I want to say that and then now go through his premise and his guest commentary together, and, and then we can see where he might need some, some direction with this. So this is, this is how his commentary starts off. Despite Mayor Hancock, and that's our, our mayor here in Denver, mm-hmm. Michael Hancock, Uh, Despite Mayor Hancock's 2016 Vision Zero commitment to end all traffic fatalities and serious injuries by 2030, the number of people killed on Denver streets reached 64 last month, surpassing the total number of road fatalities in all of 2018. In Denver, reckless drivers who blew through red lights caused at least 4,456 crashes since 2014, resulting in 97 serious injuries and nine deaths according to the Denver Police Department. Now, we don't have the official report for all of these crashes. He did not include this in his story. Mm -hmm. I wish he did. So to assume that every driver involved in the crash, where someone was hurt or killed, was, quote, blowing through red lights, it's a bit of an overreach in my opinion. No, man. Andy's pretty rugged about this stuff. Like he he tabulates this stuff every single week, goes through the reports, makes sure they're accurate. Oh, he is he is 4, actually 000? I would argue that Andy is the only guy in this city that's actually keeping up to date data on this stuff that's not working for a state entity. They also, those numbers, don't specify if people in the crashes were hurt in another car or out of a car. Were all of the ninety seven injuries and nine fatalities? people who were pedestrians and were they all at a signalized intersection where someone ran the red light i think we would need to know that as part of the premise because that is the is is his statement at the beginning is that people going through red lights are killing pedestrians Mm. so we need red light cameras so i think we should know that information first and he continues 
But the city has just four intersections with red light photo enforcement, which represents just 0.3% of Denver's 1,350 intersections with traffic lights. With nearly 1,000 crashes per year at signalized intersections, the city's current enforcement efforts clearly are not working. Denver should take bold action to fix the problem by installing photo enforcement cameras at 10% of intersections with traffic lights for a total of 135. And the cameras should not stay at fixed locations. A quarter of them should rotate to new intersections every month when drivers encounter cameras more frequently and they have a hard time keeping track of where they are, they will realize there's a good chance of getting a ticket. That is true. It is. However, I think the bold action should not be more red light cameras, but higher penalties for hurting somebody with your car. I'll get back to that idea in just a little bit. As I also know that installing and monitoring 135 intersections with red light cameras would be a daunting task for, for any company. Because it's not the city that runs it. They contract that out to a company that runs the camera system, installs it, operates it, monitors it. And, and it's not just 135 cameras. It's, it's going to be over 500 individual cameras at 135 intersections. So right now, every violation has to be reviewed by a trained person, and then it's sent out for collection. And, and that's a lot of monitoring. I, sure. Okay. But at the same time, like think of all the monitoring that is done in other cities around the world and not even like on a red light camera basis, but just on the basis of cameras watching people in case something goes wrong. Like we see elaborate surveillance operations in action just about everywhere. So I think the, the question is, can we pay for it? And the answer to that is once you have that much enforcement, yeah, it probably pays for itself. And as long as it's a net zero, there's no net expenditure, net income. I think you're fine because the goal here is to reduce crashes. And I don't think there's a solid argument that having more red light cameras wouldn't reduce crashes. There's an argument that red light cameras increase the number of rear end crashes. I am highly skeptical of that, but I'd be willing to take a look at it. I will show you some data. Okay. Andy continues. Crime expert Daniel Nagan calls this the quote, certainty of getting caught, and it's the single biggest factor in preventing crime. Nagan's research has not looked specifically at red light running, but it doesn't take rigorous research to know that people will stop doing it if they know they'll get caught. So why are we getting quotes from a guy who isn't an expert in red light running? If that is the subject of this hypothesis. Come on, man. Seri what, but seriously, what's he supposed no. to do? I mean, he can talk to me. I run red lights all the time. Right, but he should <laughs> be talking to somebody who's a traffic engineer who does these sort of things, not just some guy who says, "All right, if you're going to get caught, you're going to if you think you're going to get caught, you might get caught. You're going to stop doing something." There, there's certainly something to that. You want to go? Traffic engineers are probably the number one source for this. Who did he talk to? A psychologist? Yeah, yeah. Crime expert. So sure, okay. That's and that's a fine source too. But you're right. A traffic engineer would probably be the number one source for stuff on this. All right, back to the article. At least. Now back to the article. At just one Denver intersection, 6th Avenue at Lincoln Street, photo enforcement reduces total crashes by 60% and injury crashes by 80% according to this according to the Denver Streets Partnership. The technology also reduces red light running at other intersections near those with cameras according to internal research. Is that his internal research or Denver Street Partnership? research. He doesn't really clarify, Fair but question. I would think it would be the 
Denver Street Partnership Research. That's uh, I, I would like to see the data on that too. Van Heuvens Group, right? Uh, not sure. Okay. And most people who get tickets from automated cameras stop their bad behavior. Of drivers who received a photo-enforced speeding ticket in New York, 81% never received another, according to a 2017 study. Well, what about here? What about red light cameras, not speeding cameras? If 81% didn't get another, then we could presume that the other 19% did. Right. right. Or that 81% just never went over that same stretch of road again. Aren't those the people you really want to stop anyway, like chronic drunk drivers? So he's making a point here about speeding tickets from photo enforcement, not red light enforcement, in New York City and not here in Denver. Well, there's no data in Denver. you got to get data from somewhere. All right, Andy again. But elected officials will have to do something increasingly difficult in a world of instantaneous, full-tilt political rage. That is a true statement right there. They'll need to show some leadership and tune out the shouts of people who hate automated enforcement. Uh, no, they don't. No, they don't. Not all people agree in policy. And politicians are elected to vote the way they promised their constituents they would vote. That's what makes this republic so great. We are not a pure democracy. We are a republic with elected representatives for an area. The area might want somebody who doesn't want to vote your way and wants to vote our way and vice versa. Right? It's true, man. People really hate red light cameras. I mean, that's what it comes down to. The political game is how much do people hate red light cameras? And the answer is enough that a ban on them has been a consistent topic of conversation at our state capitol every year for the last five years. People really hate these things. So, you know, you can't write an article saying you need this and expect to convince a public that isn't interested in needing this because they hate them. Yeah, exactly. Uh, If you want politicians to vote a certain way for your policy, then get more of those people elected. That's the way our system works. All right, so back to the article. In January, Councilman Kevin Flynn, by the way, Kevin used to be a newspaper reporter for the Rocky Mountain News, transportation reporter, and then he worked over at the A-Line, the line that goes from downtown Denver to um, the airport as a spokesperson and then was elected as a Denver city councilman. So Councilman Kevin Flynn derailed the plan to install cameras at three intersections. He argued that some of the city's yellow lights are too short, which may be true. That was Andy saying that. But the Department of Public Works can adjust the timing of the traffic signals with a flip of a switch. His argument is a silly excuse, and the rest of the council was happy to follow along. They voted unanimously to postpone the new cameras until September at the latest. It is now November, and there's still no word on the new cameras. Now, Kevin does know about this because he was a transportation reporter for a long time. I talked to Kevin about a lot of different transportation issues in the past uh, when we recover certain uh, uh, same events and uh, news conferences and that sort of thing. So Kevin does know what he's talking about, and longer yellow lights is, I think, more effective than having red light cameras. So, so why isn't I guess the counter argument to that would be then why isn't something being done about the longer yellow lights if there's an obvious solution that makes more sense than red light cameras? Ask the Denver City Council. Well, I mean, I think we have, right? And, and has there been a satisfactory answer no, to that? No, there has not. There you go. Andy continues. 
Flynn also furthered the false claim that cameras are a way for cities to make money. It isn't a false claim, Andy. It's not a false claim. It doesn't have to be a way for cities to make money. On the one hand, these things have to pay for themselves somehow. One, two, there has to be a penalty for running a red light. We can't just like I. I would argue that sure, let's send you a picture and a warning the first time and be like, seriously, don't do this again, or we'll fine you if you want to soften it a little bit. And I would argue that it, it's it doesn't have to be in, intended as a profit center for these cities the way it can be in some. I mean, there's no way to deny that it is definitely a profit center, printing yes. money for some cities. I don't know of a single city in the country that would have red light cameras if it didn't collect any money, if it collected zero in fines. And, and, and they but, always but say, that, no, that's that, the goal, don't but, they? No, the goal is to be a net zero, right? No, they Prevent- say the goal is to have zero red light runners and have zero infractions. Sure, okay, yes, that is the, that is the ultimate goal. Right. But the real goal, realistically, is a net zero, where you're not making a profit on the thing. No, not that's not but, the... But you're fining people who deserve to be fined for violating the law. They wouldn't make any money if they actually got to their... What they say is their true desire to have zero people running red lights. If there was nobody running red lights, I think we'd be all happy to uninstall red light cameras from around the city. But we have to get to that goal first. Well, I don't know what the contract Denver has with the company that runs their camera systems now. But I would be stunned to see that it doesn't specify that the company that that is collecting money for it right now doesn't get repaid the costs for their monitoring, for the camera system, for their employees, all of that. So the city's on the hook for that much money. So let's just say it's let's say it's ten dollars. Okay. Okay. For, all right. Let's just say it costs this company ten dollars. The city is going to be on the hook for at least that much money, and then anything above that, the city gets. Now, we're not talking about ten dollars. We're probably talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars. So let's say it's uh, five hundred thousand dollars. The city's going to be on the hook for $500,000, and I'm sure it's more than that. Okay? That's a lot of money. And anything above that, they get to keep. But do you think the city's going to keep this program in place if they're going to be spending $500,000 every year to keep people from running red lights? The ins- and even more if they're going to expand the program? The answer to that is 100% dependent on, one, how cynical you are, and, two, how corrupt our politicians are. So you tell me. I don't know. No, they're not going to do it. They're not going to do it. They are, they're, they're just not. They're not going to spend that money uh, on that if, if they're not going to be making money back. You, I mean, every, I mean that, that's, that's obvious. I, I, I don't want to buy into the thesis of that argument, but I get what you're coming, where you're coming from because it's been proven so often in the past that when something generates revenue for a city, they are exploitative about that. Oh, of course. And then they rely on that income year after year after year. Right. They become it becomes part of their general budget. Well, we're seeing that with the marijuana tax revenue now where the cities were expecting it to continue increasing at this exponential rate that it was never going to increase at. No. You're going to hit a plateau with that stuff. All right, back to Andy. But it's not unfair to hold killers and would-be killers accountable. That's one statement, actually, uh, Andy, I agree with. I'll explain uh, what I mean further later. If people want to avoid tickets that range $40 to $80, it's easy. Obey the law. We know that over time, such cameras reduce red light running, which would cut revenue to the city. But until then, the money could be put to good use. With a little new money, the Denver Streets Partnership has called on the city to make simple, low-cost safety improvements 
like eliminating right turns on red, lowering residential speed limits to 20 miles an hour, and expanding the use of automated enforcement. But if widespread automated enforcement generates new revenue, the city's underfunded street safety program could use it to build sidewalks, install better crosswalks, and make intersections safer. Ah, Why are we getting greedy? There it is. <laughs> Why do we need to get greedy about There it, it is. More red light cameras equals more revenue for the city. We just talked about that. They're counting on more money. Andy is counting on more people breaking the law, collecting more money, and then using that money for his pet projects. I mean... I thought this was all about stopping drivers. In the beginning of the article, it was all about stopping drivers from running red lights and killing pedestrians. That was the thesis, the very beginning of the article. And that's not what is here. Is it? I mean, he did phrase it in a way to say if there is an overrun, because again, the goal is not to have an overrun. The goal is to prevent people from running red lights, right? Like that is the they have zero goal. people running red lights, That's which would be a for. net minus for the city because it would cost the city to install those and have them operating and have no one paying fines because nobody's running red lights base level yes i think broader you're paying for fewer funerals you know you're probably generating more revenue because fewer people are dying so you know there's probably something to counterbalance it and it's not a net minus for the city to have a strong enforcement program you know what i would rather see i would rather see instead of the city paying more money for more red light cameras or the money they're paying for the red light cameras now to take that money that they've already budgeted and putting it into better intersections safer intersections why can't we do that take it just from one place and put it into something that could be more effective. At least I, I, that's the way I saw it. I, I think it's probably a lot cheaper to install red light cameras than to rebuild the intersections, but I don't know that for a fact. I'm just guessing because intersections are expensive and cameras are not. But you're not rebuilding the entire intersection. You're just making some safety improvements and enhancements. And if you have a half a million dollars every year or more, I would guess that a half a million dollars can maybe improve five intersections, right? I don't know. Yeah, I, that's what I'm saying. I mean, the numbers here, they but start to get a little money, gray. How much money over which uh, what it would cost the city to operate the cameras? So what is that? what is that much money compared to how much money they would spend for all those cameras and then put that into the, into the system? So, I mean, that's, that's what I'm looking at. Mm-hmm. Look at the bar graph. My, my kids are into the bar graph ma- math models right now. Oh, okay. And so that's that's what it, anyway. So back to back to the article. If Denver is serious about reducing the number of people who need to be remembered at candlelight vigils, it must stop dithering with dumb excuses to justify the status quo. We need bold action on street safety, even if it's uncomfortable for elected officials. We need more red light cameras. That again from Andy Bosselman. From Streets Blog, Denver. So this is what I wrote back to Andy. Because I like Andy. So this is what I wrote back to him after reading his piece in the post. Thanks for the compliment on the free transit show. I thought it turned out really well. I read your article and my first thought is that many of the pedestrian fatalities that happen in our city are outside of marked intersections. Not necessarily where someone runs a red light. More often the person is mid-block running between bus stops. Red light cameras would obviously not help in those situations. The problem ultimately comes down to distracted drivers, driver speed, and overall bad driving behavior. Ridiculously high fines and jail time, in my opinion, for these deaths is one way to encourage drivers to change their ways. 
Imagine if a driver was charged with second-degree or even first-degree murder instead of a much lesser manslaughter or vehicular homicide charge. I think that would get every driver's attention. Personally, I don't think there's much difference in accidentally pulling the trigger of a gun, accidentally stabbing someone to death, or running them over with a car. To me, it's murder, and it should be charged as such. Again, this is me, Jason, talking. An accidental death from running someone over in a car isn't an accident. If the driver is distracted, that death could be argued that it's an on-purpose. I do agree there should be more police radar enforcement around Denver. With police cars, not red light cameras and red light and, and the photo radar vans. But speed enforcement and the money, when collected, should be put directly to better infrastructure and safer intersections. I don't agree with eliminating right turns on red, but I understand that's a problem for pedestrians talking to people like you and, and uh, other people who are walking around town. That, that, that drivers are not paying attention to people when they're in the intersection. They almost get hit when somebody's turning on red. Yeah, I mean, a certain amount of that is common sense, though. Like, make eye contact with people. Sure. If you know that that driver is not making eye contact, maybe don't jump out in the middle of the road. I don't know. And I ended my comments to him saying, what we need to invest in is a series of gondolas around the city so we can all ride in comfort above the traffic, because if it works in Aspen and Vail, why can't it work here in downtown Denver? (laughs) I don't hate that idea. Right? I mean, why not? If that's what we're really talking about. So I'm sure that after Andy hears this, He's, he's going to write back to me, which is fine, um, but that's just the, the, the way I think. And, and I, 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 I think the goal for everybody is to have safer roads, have fewer people being run over. I don't want to see people run over. I, I like people to, to walk around if they want to walk around and ride their bike if they want to ride, the, ride their bike. But ultimately, it comes down to driver distraction, driver behavior, and those people need to be held accountable. And maybe the fines and the penalties for not driving properly and driving distracted need to be increased to the point where it's going to force people to pay attention. Yeah, but if you're only punishing that severely in the most severe cases, I don't think it's going to have much of an impact. Cause I think no, everybody, in all cases. No, but I'm saying, like, you're, you're talking about a first-degree murder charge, and what I would argue is that people look at those kind of crashes, and they're like, that's never going to be me. And they don't. it doesn't even cross their mind. They don't even connect themselves to the driver who's in that crash. I believe, maybe it wasn't first-degree murder, but there's that semi-truck driver out in Golden, yep. crashed his lumber truck, lost his brakes, and that's what he said. He was actually driving too fast. He missed the opportunities to actually ditch his truck. Uh, and he plowed into a bunch of people, traffic jam, killed four people. Yep. I, well, I think he was charged with murder, right? Yeah. But I, that, I don't think that's a deterrent to anybody else. I don't think anybody looked at that crash and said, that's going to be me. I think everybody looked at that crash and said, that guy's a bad driver. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. And, you know, quickly, I, I, I know I, I keep talking about making penalties outrageous and, and, and inconvenient for people. Uh, next spring, I was reading the city of Copenhagen is increasing the prices for their residential parking. Crazy amounts. Love it. So the price right now for people to park in, in uh, Copenhagen is, is 10 kroner. Kroner oh, is kroner. how many dollars? I don't know. Kroner. Kroner. <laughs> the price is going to increase to 1,000 kroner. That, that is a major increase. A hundred times more. Okay. Uh, and, and they're going to charge different rates depending on how fuel efficient the cars are. Even the electric cars and hydrogen cars that they have are going to have to pay like 200 kroner, which is way more than 10. Fascinating. So they're going to have anywhere from 1,000 to two to even 4,000 kroner charges to park in downtown Copenhagen to try to 
change how people get into Copenhagen. Mm-hmm. And, and you know that's a that's an interesting way. I, I actually wanted to talk to um, Rosalie Ray about this last week because she made the suggestion in one of her uh, pieces that if you increase parking, it is actually more de- more of a deterrent than congestion pricing. Because I can drive around and I can actually uh, uh, justify that I need to be driving around in a city if I'm working truck driver, taxi, you know, whatever, Uber driver, whatever. But if I have to leave my car for eight hours and it's going to cost me $100 every single day, $500 a week. I'd definitely take the bus, train, something else. I mean, find, that, find, that, a, find an offshore lot. Or, or if they, char- let's say they started charging $250 a day for parking and no congestion charge, that changes driver's behavior right there. Oh, yeah. You're going to find people parking outside a city and then trying to maybe coming in at that point. But that, that definitely changes people's behavior. Again, as I've said, you make the penalty or you make the, uh, the inconvenience so outrageous that people have to change their behavior. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be the same way, I think, with, uh, with uh, distracted driving. Yeah. But yeah. nobody, I think, is bold enough in any state legislature, uh, in any world government, to actually do that, there well, are a few, but very, very few. I mean, I think the the honestly, the way to per, to police distracted driving is probably something like what we've talked about before, where other people take pictures of you behind the wheel on your phone, submit those, and you get a ticket for that. Or where there are cameras set up at certain locations, and they're taking pictures of you going by, and if they find you on your phone, you get a ticket for that. We talked about an app that was supposed to do that. I wonder where that app is. We did that on the show, what, years ago, yeah, right? Yeah, probably Kaputsky by now, right? I'm that sure it is. feels like a severe sure security violation. Well, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, we talked about that exact app. Uh, I remember it from several years ago, yeah. and it just went nowhere. Anyway, if you want to contact the show, if you have a comment about this story or anything else we talk about here, or just want to tell us we suck, uh, please do so. 303-832-0217. But if you loved us, you want to, we, we want to hear that as well. Yes, rate, review, subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe, re-rate, re-review. We will be off the show, uh, I, I guess not really next week. I'll have the interview next week. Uh, yeah, You're going to be off the show because you're going to be enjoying vacation. All vacation. I ever wanted. <laughs> I'll be working all the way up through Thanksgiving and then have that next day off. So anyway, happy Thanksgiving to everybody. Happy beginning to the holiday season as we're uh, right here on the cusp of a new year. Again, thanks for listening. And until next time, I'm Jason Luber, the traffic guy. I'm the gobbledygooker, Joseph Peters. Be safe. And as always, happy motoring. Happy motoring.